Welcome to the First Century Church Podcast. My name is Stephen Wilhoy, and I'm the lead pastor at First Century Church, and it is an honor to have you with us today. The goal of the podcast is simple. We want you to be encouraged, challenged, and inspired to go further in your faith than ever before. If you'd like more information about the church, you can visit our website, firstcenturykc.com. And if you happen to be in the Kansas City area anytime soon, we'd love to have you join us for one of our live gatherings to connect with you in person. Again, thanks for joining us today, and we hope that you enjoy today's message. So let me ask you, are you ready? Okay, we are going to begin a journey through, I think, one of the more exciting books in the Bible— Uh, And definitely one of the more exciting books in the New Testament of the Bible, the second half of the Bible. Uh, We're going to be in this sort of meta-series called The Movement, and we're studying the book of Acts together. We're going to go section by section, verse by verse, uh, through this exciting book about the New Testament church. And as we'll see along the way, the the idea of what what we've had 2,000 years to figure out and work through and think about, and tweak, and change, and get used to, in the time and place we're reading it, it is a brand new thing. It is a brand new movement, if you will. But as we'll see along the way, in different weeks, different series, and different parts, we'll point this out more than others, it is a new thing, but at the same time, it's actually an extension of a very old thing. In many ways, the Church of Jesus Christ is maybe a little bit different than even what Jesus thought it might be, if we're honest. It might be a little bit different now than what even the first century church might have. If they, if they saw how we do church now, they would think, well, that's kind of sort of what we started back then, but it's a little bit different. And so we'll see how the ideas and the ideals that the church is based on and founded on are really not new ideas at all, even though the way in which they are fleshed out is very different and new. So we're going to start, throughout this movement series in Acts, we're going to do different sub-series to kind of break things apart and put things together. And so for the next three weeks, the first three weeks are going to kind of be a, a three-week introduction to Acts. Now, don't, when I say introduction, it's not going to be super dry, guys. It's going to be fine, okay? But for three weeks, we're going to look at the first, really, section of the book of Acts in a three-week series that we're going to call Three Views of the Movement. So what I want to do uh, with us for the next three weeks is look at three different ways that the book of Acts in its entirety can be viewed and then applied. And there's different parts of that, and so we'll, we'll look at that starting today with the, the first view that we're going to look at is three levels of the book of Acts. As a meta-narrative, as a larger story, as a book of the Bible, uh, as a document, Acts, there's three ways, three levels that we can view this book, and we'll look at those um, today. And again, I hope it's not going to be too dry, especially near the end. There's going to be a very direct application to our lives here and now because we're talking, we are talking about ancient people from an ancient place, an ancient time, uh, but we are going to be able to apply it to our lives. That's the whole point and beauty, I think, of Scripture and of Acts uh, specifically. So we're going to start out uh, by looking at just the first three verses in Acts chapter 1 today, and that's all we're going to look at to kind of get our feet wet on this journey through Acts as we look at these three levels of the book of Acts. So uh, look at it with me, Acts chapter 1. If you don't have your Bible or a book, it's okay. We have them on the screen for you to look at as well. Uh, Acts chapter 1, starting at verse number 1, and it says this. In my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven— 
after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive, and he talked to them about the kingdom of God. So there are three levels to this idea or this book of the Bible, Acts. The first one and the most obvious one and the main one, I think, is that Acts is the story of the early church. That's the main idea behind this entire document that we will take months and months and months getting through, is it is the story of the early church. As you can see here in the first three verses, Acts is written to someone, who we'll talk about, by someone, who we'll talk about, and about something, and that something is the church. So let's look first at who wrote Acts and and a little bit about him. You might be familiar with him. So the person that wrote the book of Acts, his name is Luke. You might recognize him because he also wrote the Gospel of Luke. So he wrote these two books. And as we'll see in a minute, uh, Acts is really volume two of a two-volume work. Luke is volume one, part one. Acts is volume two, part two. They go together. Uh, Many times when you get into like... um, if you learn about it in more of a, like a high-level sort of thing, they're together. It's like Luke-Acts. It's like one document that's been separated, and you could almost see it as the fifth gospel in a way. It's what happens, as, as he even says here, just after Jesus. So Luke ends, Jesus ascends into heaven, and then he picks it back up here, sort of a little recap as we'll study the next couple weeks, the same event, and then what happens immediately after that. So Luke is just picking up, or I'm sorry, Acts is picking up where Luke left off in his gospel. So who is Luke, if you don't know? There's only a a, a couple things that we know for sure about him from Scripture. Uh, We know that Luke was a medical doctor, and we know that he was an associate of the Apostle Paul. So there's two verses here, Colossians 4, 14, Paul writing this letter. He says, Luke, the beloved doctor, sends his greetings, and so does Demas. And then 2 Timothy 4, 11, he writes to Timothy, only Luke is with me. So we know that Luke was a doctor. Uh, uh, Paul writes it here as well. And when the scholars talk about how um, Luke writes, his, his Greek is so pristine. When you look at how it's written, how it's constructed, um, scholars would say you can tell the person that wrote this was highly educated. Like he had a high, 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 high IQ. He had a lot of training, a lot of learning, because even the way he wrote was very complex, very educated. So that, that goes together with that. And we know here from these verses that he was an associate of Paul, so he traveled with Paul. Um, Paul had possibly a couple of different medical ailments that we might look at later on uh, that he had to deal with. So Luke may have been helpful with, with Paul for that reason. Uh, we also know that Luke is present in some of the events in Acts because especially in the second half of the book of Acts that we'll get to, when, they, when stories or narratives are told, it's in the first person. So some stories will say, we did this, or we traveled there, or the Lord did this through us. So the author, who is Luke, uh, was there and present for many of these things in the latter half of Paul's ministry. So he's a highly educated medical doctor um, who is writing this book, who's also an associate of Paul's. But what is Luke writing? We know he's writing about the early church, but wh- what is that? A- and to make it as simple as I can, Luke is writing history. He's writing a historical account of how this new movement began. So it's estimated, it's believed that the book of Acts is written maybe in the 70s AD, maybe early 80s AD. And so if you think about what's happened from 0 AD to 80 AD, 
So we know Acts, Luke Acts has been written. Think about all the things that have happened in that time frame. Jesus has appeared at the very beginning of that time frame, which is what the book of Luke is about, the life and ministry of Jesus. And then Acts is about his followers then carrying on the work of Jesus. So, Because again, in Acts 1 verse 1, he says, I have told you in my first letter what Jesus began to do and teach. And then Acts just picks up right where that leaves off. So Jesus shows up, his followers start and initiate this sort of updated version of an ancient religion. And then within about 40 to 50 years of the beginning of the New Testament church, this new startup religion, some would see it as a cult early on, has swept throughout the entire Roman Empire. And Paul, as we'll see, had a a great deal to do with that. Many of the apostles as well, but Paul went to places the gospel had never been ever to that point where even Judaism was kind of this far off sort of uh, idea. And, And so we see it swept through. And so what he's answering here is a historical, reliable historical account of how that happened. How can this small ragtag group of mostly uneducated people, there are some highly educated people that we'll talk about, but mostly regular people, how how did they have such an impact to spread this new religion all over the then known world so quickly in such a powerful way? That's what uh, Acts is about. And so he, in verse one, there's another name mentioned there, Theophilus. So let's talk about that person for a second. It's possible, I would say probable, that Luke is commissioned by this person, Theophilus, to write Luke-Acts. So now we don't know who Theophilus is. Now the word Theophilus, the name, um, uh, Theo means God, and then the Philo at the end means lover. So like Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, the phila is where we get the love part from, okay? Phileo in Greek. So Theophilus means lover of God in Greek. So there are some who would say, well, that's just like a a name that he's used to cover for someone, and he's used this clever sort of Greek trick. Probably not. Uh, Or maybe it's a group he's writing to these early Christians about, well, he doesn't really need to write to them because they've lived it out. They've lived through it. They've seen it. They've experienced it. So he wouldn't necessarily do that for that reason. It does seem, if you go back to Luke chapter 1, that Theophilus is a real person. Because in Luke chapter 1, he addresses Theophilus as well at the beginning of this two-volume work, and he calls him, O Most Excellent Theophilus, which was a common term, a title that you would give to a Roman, high-ranking Roman official. Or at the very least, a very Roman elite person. Maybe he didn't have a title, maybe he wasn't in the government, but he's a wealthy, well-to-do elite person in the Roman world. So it's, it's highly, highly, highly likely, I would say it's almost... Um, you, you, uh, inarguable, he's a real person, that he is either, one of two things is possible here. Either Theophilus is a new Christian who's trying to learn from Luke, who he knows somehow, how, how did this start? What's the story behind this? I've heard rumors, I've heard legends, I've heard myths, but I want you to help me find out what this is. Or he's, cur- he's maybe not crossed the line of faith yet, but he's curious because he's seen the impact that the church has had on the Roman world, and it intrigues him. It piques his curiosity. And so he's commissioned Luke to go and write, how did this start? And so again, the book of Luke, Luke would then travel and eyewitness, interview eyewitnesses of the life and ministry of Jesus. Um, church tradition tells us that the reason that Luke's uh, birth narrative of Christmas is so, uh, has so much in it, so much detail, is because he more than likely interviewed Mary herself before she died, and she got, he got her firsthand account of how those events went as one of his eyewitness accounts. 
So then he writes through these interviews and other documents and other writings and stories about Jesus and compiles the book of Luke and then the book of Acts. He does some interviewing for the first part, um, most likely Peter and some of the other apostles in Jerusalem. But then he travels with Paul for years. uh, And so he's part of some of the events and then gets the firsthand account of things he missed in Paul's life and ministry as well. So that's the point of Luke here. It's the story of the early church. And when I say uh, history, thank you, when I say history, I mean history, okay? Because the history checks out. The, his, the historical portions of this New Testament document from the Bible, they hold up. Let, let me share this quote with you from um, John Stott, who's a commentator. Uh, he says this. He says, the historical framework of Acts is exact in terms of time and place, the details are precise and correct. One walks the streets and marketplaces, the theaters and assemblies of first century Ephesus or Thessalonica, Corinth or Philippi with the author of Acts. As documents, these narratives belong to the same historical series of rec- as the records and literary sources of the first and early second centuries AD. So for what it is, The book of Acts, and I would say also the Bible, is reliable historical document. It is a reliable historical document. So I say for what it is because Acts, nor any part of the Bible, ever claims to be the only historical document about the ancient world. It never makes that claim. It actually never makes a claim that it is a historical document. It just writes history of these people groups and this time and place in the world. And yet... Uh, Other documents that are older or we have less copies of or less reliable copies of other than the Bible, uh, most people in the world that are non-Christian just accept those no problem. But for some reason, people want to try to poke holes in the validity of what the scriptures say, even in a historical sense. There's this, I would say modern, but it's not really that modern. It's probably a couple hundred years old now or so. Uh, this, this whole mode of thinking, of philosophy, of study, of scholarship to be anti-Scripture, to poke holes in the veracity and the validity of Scriptures. Here's the problem with that over time that they haven't quite figured out yet. The more that scholars, scientists, and archaeologists attempt to disprove or illegitimize the historical accuracy of the Bible, the more they fail. The more they try to disprove what's there, the more they find, oh, whoops, we have a problem here because what's in the record, we discovered that lost city or we discovered that artifact or there's a lot more evidence now than there was of this actually being true. There's an example of this um, from the 1880s. His name is William Mitchell Ramsey and he was a professor of classical archaeology and art at Oxford University in England. So he was an atheist, but a very highly educated scholar uh, and studier. And so in the 1880s, what he did is he looked at the book of Acts specifically, and what he decided to do was, I'm going to travel the routes that the Apostle Paul wrote in Acts that he really went on. Yeah, okay, sure, whatever. And I'm just going to see what I can find there. So he went on this months-long journey through Europe in the 1880s as a a trained classic uh, archaeologist, knows what he's doing, and he traveled and, and followed the map and traveled here and followed the map. And he found that what Paul wrote was true. The places Paul talks about actually exist. 
the route that he went on, you can actually go on. These places and these things that he studied uh, were real. And so at the end of his travels, this atheist became a Christian because he was convinced that what the Bible said was true. It was accurate. It could be believed. But here's the problem. I think the real reason that people try to poke holes in the historical accuracy of the Bible is not because they care about history or accuracy. The problem is they are averse to the spiritual claims of the Bible, that it's inspired by God, that it's the authoritative for how we live and conduct our lives, the, the claims that Jesus is the only way to get to heaven, right? That's at the heart, at the core, the real reason for the resistance against the Bible, uh, both in sort of this uh, high-end sort of sense, but in our everyday sort of culture. It's not that people really care that much about historical accuracy of the first century Greco-Roman world. Like, people don't really care about that. It's the claims, the other spiritual claims that the book makes. So the thought is, but it's a mistaken thought, as we've already seen. The, the thought is, if I can poke holes in the verifiable, then I can poke holes in the spiritual. If I can undercut what, the history and the places and the names, then I can undercut the spiritual part of that too because it's all a fraud. But as we've seen, it doesn't actually work. What that does, we're kind of getting on a little bit of a side here, but what, what that does is it gets us to kind of where we are currently in the view of the Bible, especially in the Western world, in our Western American European culture. The view of the Bible is lower than it has ever been, right? Biblical literacy, even among Christians, is lower than it's ever been. Regular church attendance is lower than it's ever been. The view and culture of the Bible, period, is lower than it's ever been. It wasn't that long ago that any university would have classes and courses. Now, I'm not talking about a Bible college. I'm talking about like Oxford, Stanford, all they would study it, at least study the Bible for its Western influence, at least. As classic literature, it would have been studied in some way, but that's not so much the case anymore. And so this attempt to kind of uh, attack the Bible from all these different ways is, even though it's wrong and false and actually doesn't prove what the people claim it does, it still has that effect culturally. And so we even see, again, it's not studied like it once was. And there's another example that just, I just saw this this week and I had to mention it. So uh, we finally got our, uh, you know, U.S. Congress sort of figured out, right? It took all week, but we finally got, I don't know, <laughs> some of the least important people who are so unserious think they are so amazing. And it's just like, stop. Anyway, um, so they're, they're finally going to swear in their new Congress people, right? So one of them is named Robert Garcia. Uh, he was just elected this year, and so he decided, maybe you read this this week, uh, typically you get sworn in on the Bible, right? You put your hand on the Bible, hand to God, you make the, the oath of office, and, and that's it. So Robert Garcia has decided he's not going to use the Bible for his swearing-in uh, ceremony. He instead is going to have a copy of the Constitution, that's fine, right? A picture of his parents, his citizenship papers, and then a 1939 Superman comic book. So again, this very serious person who we should all take so seriously, he's taken away like the greatest work of Western literature in the history of the world, right? Or Eastern literature. I don't, the Bible is the best-selling book of all time, right? So the greatest work of literature of all time, 
He's replaced that with a 1939 Superman comic book. So this kind of tells you, I think, where our current culture views the Bible. And, it's, and it starts with this idea that if I can poke holes in the historical accuracy of what it's saying, then I can attack and undercut its spiritual claims. And again, although it doesn't work, it is tried over and over and over again. And finally, it's just we're beaten down by it and our culture just disintegrates. And that's what we see here. But what ACT is going to do for us is show a historically reliable story of the origins and the rapid growth and the reaching impact of this movement that is the church. That's what Acts is, really, is the story of the early church. The second level we will look at very briefly today, but it'll be intertwined in all of the rest of the series, okay? And that is, the second level of Acts is that it is the story of the Holy Spirit. So the book that we're studying is called The Acts of the Apostles, right? That's the official name, title of this book. However, it could more accurately be called The Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because although this book is mainly the first uh, half, not quite, is mainly about Peter and the apostles in Jerusalem trying to figure out uh, this new movement, the church. And then the latter half is about Paul and his journeys and his uh, works that he did and things that he said. Uh, so it's mainly about Peter and Paul, but make no mistake, the main character in the book of Acts is the Holy Spirit. Every page is saturated, as you will see, with the Holy Spirit. 42 times in the book of Acts, the words Holy Spirit are mentioned. Another 15 times, just the word Spirit is mentioned. So 57 times in 28 chapters, the Holy Spirit is doing something. So you'll read things like the Holy Spirit came upon someone to do something. The Holy Spirit led someone. Even, I think it's in Acts chapter 8, the Holy Spirit almost has like a Star Trek moment where he takes one person from one spot and translates them to another location. Okay, Holy Spirit does that. Uh, you'll read about the Holy Spirit empowering people. We'll talk about that for the next, in a few weeks, for several weeks. Uh, at times, the Holy Spirit will send people. That's really how the Apostle Paul is commissioned. The Holy Spirit said, send out Paul and Barnabas to do the work I've called them to do. So the Holy Spirit is the main character, main thrust, main idea, main focus of the book of Acts. The book is about the acts of the apostles, what they did, but nothing they did could have been done without the person, presence, and power of the Holy Spirit. There is no way that could happen. So that's all we're going to say about the Holy Spirit for now, because again, we're going to talk about him pretty much every week for the next however long we're in Acts, because he has a huge part to play, uh, and I say he— Again, just a second. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. There's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is not a force like in Star Wars. He is a person. He is the third person of the Trinity, of the Godhead. So when I say he, in terms of the Holy Spirit, that's why. So if you're confused by that, hopefully that, I'm sure when we talk about the Trinity, it's just so easy to understand that. So we can all just totally get, you know, the whole concept there. Um, anyway, the Holy Spirit is a person. He is God, and he does things in the book of Acts. He is the one who, uh, Jesus built the church. The Holy Spirit really just blew his wind and fire into it to make it what it is today. So it may seem weird to make a big deal about this emphasis of the book is the Holy Spirit, and we're going to move on, but we're going to move on. Okay. 
The third level, the third way that we can view the book of Acts is it is the story of us. The book of Acts is the story of us. And there's two parts of this. First, the book of Acts is or can be your story. So Acts will show you what the Christian life really is. Or it shows you what the Christian life should be. Because maybe as we journey through Acts and you see the things that these people did and you read about their adventures and you look at all this, you might be like, well, wait a second, I can't do that. That's what they said. This job's too big for me. That's what they said. The people in Acts are normal people, everyday people. Some of them are more educated than others. Some of them come from different uh, walks of life than others, but they're regular, normal, frail, fallen human people. So it's the story of us, and it shows us what the Christian life can be and should be. And here's what it is. The Christian life should be vibrant and exciting and maybe even a little bit dangerous. Acts is going to show us this. The Christian life should be vibrant and exciting and maybe a little bit dangerous. So if you're a Christian and you find yourself bored being a Christian— Can I submit to you, maybe you're doing it wrong. I know that's a big statement. I know that's heavy. I'm just saying, when we read Acts, if you're like, why can't God do that for me? Well, maybe you're doing it wrong, okay? If your faith doesn't challenge you in any way, maybe you're approaching your faith wrong. Maybe to you it's a possession that you have and not a thing that you do. Because that's what Acts is. They don't just sit around and wait for stuff to happen. They are actively doing the stuff that happens. They don't just pray, God, use me, and God, fill me, and God, you know, show me what to do, and then just wait around. As they're doing their life and their stuff, God is using them and filling them and making a difference through them. It should be that way for us. And if you feel that your life as a Christian lacks purpose— then maybe you're missing something, and maybe Acts will show us what that is. As we study uh, week after week, we will see Acts will show us what the Christian life can be and what it should be. So Acts is history, but it's not just history. That's a mistake that we can make with the Bible sometimes, and I can make that as well, studying it you know, as I do. It, it's not just to be read or studied. It is history, but it's not just that. Acts, what it is, is it's, it's a blueprint for the kind of life God really wants you to have. Acts is a step-by-step sort of guide, if you will. Not exactly that way, but it shows you, what, again, what the Christian life should look like. Because you read these stories and think, that's, I can never do that. That's what they said. You read, you read the stories, I can never pull that off. Neither could they. They had to have the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, just like you have to have in your life to do whatever God's called you to do. They and the people in the book of Acts, they needed the Holy Spirit's wisdom, encouragement, and power, and so do you, and so do I. Let me say this. Maybe you're here or watching or listening, and, and you think that your life is, is good enough without the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. I would say then your life is not good enough. Because the Holy Spirit's desire is to give you more of himself. 
to reveal more of God to you, to stretch you beyond your own means to do what only God can do through you. So if you find that your life is okay and good enough, it's not okay and it's not good enough. You need more and more of the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through your life. And maybe you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, and maybe you've rejected a life of faith for any number of reasons. If, if that's you, whether you're here or watching or listening, I would invite you and encourage you to follow on this journey with us through Acts. Maybe you're a skeptic, uh, maybe you're on the fence, maybe you're antagonistic toward faith altogether. I would still invite you to join us on this study because it will point out many of those objections that you probably have to faith and show you why that doesn't have to be a barrier. So you might say, well, faith is too hard. You know, I tried it and I failed. And there was too many rules and too many things to keep up with. And I just, I just couldn't manage it. And what you're going to see in Acts was, yeah, it, it was hard for the original early church. But they did it. Maybe you would say, oh, you know, faith is too risky. I don't know, you know, there's too many things that could go wrong. Or I might lose relationships or whatever. Yeah, what you're going to find in Acts is, yeah, faith is risky. That's sort of the definition of the word in many ways. We don't know what the next step's going to be. That's faith. We trust that God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the leading of his Son, will help us to come for whatever comes our way. Maybe just in general you would say, you know, I, well, it's just not for me. You know, maybe that's, that's fine for you. Your faith is fine for you. Your religion's fine for you, but not for me. What you're going to find in the book of Acts is all types of people bought in to this movement. It wasn't just a certain sect of Jews in this part of the world. Like, again, in four decades, it spread throughout the entire then-known world. As you'll read later on in the very end of Acts, powerful people in the government in Rome are convinced of Christianity. So it's for everyone. So it's not, it's, if it's not for you, well, I don't know who you are, but it's for everyone. Maybe people would say, oh, it's, it's too simple, you know, faith, it's for the weak, it's for the stupid, I, I don't need that crutch, I've got my life figured out, I'm pretty smart, I'm pretty resilient, I'm pretty self-sufficient, I'm just fine. But what you're going to also find is, while it is for everyone, uh, Paul, who, whom half this book is about, is one of the brightest minds who ever lived. And you will see that, especially in Acts 16, 17. When we get there, ooh, I'm in it, because that's my favorite part of Acts, is right in the middle, 16 and 17. So get ready, in like 14 months we might get there. You know, I don't know. I don't know how long it's going to take, but anyway, we'll get there. But you see the genius of Paul. When you read his writings, the genius of Paul. These are not stupid people. These are not simple people. Now, some of them are not going to, you know, be like genius level. It is for everyone, but it's, it's not just like the lower end here of the IQ chart. You have some of the greatest minds in the history of the world who helped to propagate this movement. So if you say it's too simple, that's a cop-out. Or maybe, here's the last one I'll mention, maybe you're averse to faith or you're, you're, you're t maybe kind of getting your feet wet. But you're like, I'm not ready to jump all in because I've tried it before and I was hurt the last time. Like at the last church, I was really hurt. Or, you know, I read things about pastors doing these things all the time. I don't, I don't trust anybody. Or, you know, these people who are my neighbors, they say they're Christians, but they're worse than I am. And I, I'm, just not in, I'm just not into that. What you're going to find uh, in Acts and what you're going to find in your own life, if you make an honest assessment of it, is that Christians are just people, first of all. But then second of all, if you, let me just say this. If you have been hurt somewhere else and you're carrying that on, I genuinely feel for you. I'm sorry that the church that should be a safe place was not for you at some point in some way. 
It is a shame, and, and I hear too many stories like that, and it drives me up a wall. Uh, and and I, I can't guarantee you and promise you that you won't even get hurt here. I mean, I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that doesn't happen, right? But I can't promise you that because we're all people. We're all fallen. We all have our bad days. We all get offended. We all are offensive at times. And I'm going to say things that are going to offend you, whether it may, hopefully it's not my opinion. Uh, if it is, that's, you know, too bad. You're wrong. Uh, <laughs> But if it's the Bible that offends you, that's a different story. We can have a discussion on that. And there could be differencing, differing opinions even in the house about certain uh, theological truths and certain cultural things. And that's fine, right? So if you have been hurt, again, I apologize. My prayer is that uh, the Holy Spirit would heal you from those things. Maybe you've carried those for years. Maybe 25 years ago you were hurt, and you're still carrying that wound. And it's still fresh because you keep picking at it. You keep thinking about it all the time, and it won't heal. Why? Leave it alone. Let God heal that. I wasn't planning on saying that, but somebody needs to hear that maybe today. If you're carrying that from somewhere else, don't bring that here. And by that, you can bring your hurt here, and we will help work with you and help you and let the Lord heal you. But I'm saying don't bring that mindset here that, oh, I can't get too involved because I'm going to get hurt. Or I can't get to know too many people because they're going to eventually stab me in the back just like they did. Don't do that, okay? It, and I'm not saying anybody's done that. Again, I don't know who this is for. This is for somebody because this doesn't happen that often. So somebody needs to hear this. So I hope you're, here, I hope you're listening. Whatever that mindset is, let God heal you of those hurts, of those wounds that are real, and they were wrong, and that person was probably wrong, and, and whatever, uh, but let God do that, and then just move forward. That's what we're going to see in Acts. They're disagreeing. There are, Peter and Paul, they nearly get fisticuffs going here in Acts, okay? Uh, it's a big deal. Like, they nearly have, have a brawl in the middle of the lunch table. You know, they're going to have a food fight, like Animal House, okay? But guess what? <laughs> they work it out. They're brothers in Christ. When you even read Peter, one of his letters, he references the writings of Paul as inspired scripture. So th they figured it out. They hugged it out, bro. Like they, they, they got their differences work ironed out. So while it hurts real, let it heal. And then just have some grace for people uh, and, and allow people to have grace for you as well. And so the story of Acts in that way, again, I got way off track there, but thank you, Jesus, for that. All right. The story of Acts is your story. But as we close, it is the story of us. Not just of you and you and you and you. It is, but it's also the story of us, the church. Acts will show us week after week that we can be part of something bigger than ourselves. Acts will show us that the movement is bigger than any of us by design. And here's the power and beauty of the church as we see it in Acts. There's three main things, very quickly, um, that we, we will see along the way, is that the church is a place of belonging. So uh, if you've, here's the thing, if you've rejected, you know, organized religion, you've not rejected an ideology, you've rejected a community. Say that again. If you've rejected organized religion, uh, but the beliefs and the rules and the hierarchy, no, no, you've not rejected an ideology, you've rejected a community. Because the church is about belonging. And I'll just say, in this church, you belong. In this church, you are wanted. In this church, you are valued. There's belonging in the church. And then there's diversity in the church. Now, that should attract our culture to the church like crazy because everything's about diversity, 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 right? Even at your jobs, you're going to have seminars on diversity. They're going to force feed it down your throat. We love diversity, but why does the culture hate the church so much? I don't get that. It doesn't make any sense because as a worldwide group, the church is the most diverse group of humans ever. Ever. 
me, you know, this little Anglo kid right here, I'm in the minority of Christians in the world, right? The greatest explosion uh, in the world in, of the church is in Africa and Asia. Like in this country, we're dying, so we got to figure things out. Hopefully, Acts is coming at a good time to kind of start something, maybe in our own community here, right? So we're so diverse, and we worship in so many different ways and languages and styles and days and times. And guess what? This is like a thing that the culture says, but it's garbage. But with the church, it's true. Our, there's unity in our diversity. There is no other group in which that is more true than the church. Paul in his letters over and over and over says there's no Jew, there's no Greek, there's no slave, there's no free, there's no male, there's no female. We are all one in Christ. We're diverse. He even talks about the parts of the body that function differently, but we're all together even though we are diverse. So the church is a place of belonging and diversity, and then the church is a place of purpose. I mentioned that briefly earlier. Individually, God has a purpose for you, for you to live out, but also collectively. Acts will show us, uh, first of all, how a church can grow. It'll show us different ways in which that worked in the book of Acts, what, what made it to flourish and grow. The book of Acts will show us why the church is a necessary good. Because sometimes even as a Christian, as a churchgoer, you might think, I don't really know, you know, what good is the church and what does it do? What's the point? What's the benefit? Acts will help us to see why the church is a necessary good. Acts will show us in its purpose what the church is designed to be and what the church is designed to do. And it will show us how we as a church today can impact those around us to change the world. You know, the book of Acts is 28 chapters, if you look at the very end, 28. And when you read it, chapter 28 just ends abruptly. Like, Paul's on his way somewhere, about to do something, and then it just stops. It just ends. We don't really know why that is specifically. We don't know why Luke chose to stop it there. There's different reasons, but here, here's what's really cool about that. is because Acts stops so abruptly in Acts 28, that means that we right now are living in Acts chapter 29. That's what I mean when I say the story of Acts is about us. It's not just a historical document, although it is. It is the story of how the church continues on today. There's no the end at the book of Acts because we are still the church. We're the 29th chapter of the book of Acts. We're the continuation, the living out of what Acts is. And so as we study Acts and as you read it throughout the course of the next several weeks and months, you can trust it with your life. It is accurate. It is true. You have access to the same Holy Spirit that we're going to read about. And we'll, we'll talk more about that in the coming weeks. You have access to the same Holy Spirit that is evident in the book of Acts. And you can make the same impact with your life that you read about in Acts. It's not just a fairy tale. It's not just a storybook. It's not just a history book. It can be your story. So I say, let's do this. Let's pray. God, thank you, as always, for your scripture, for the Bible. And we thank you, in this case, specifically for the book of Acts. Thank you that as we discussed briefly today, it is true, it is reliable, it is real, and it is inspired, even if we can't quite put our finger on how or explain it. We, we trust by faith uh, that it is inspired and is reliable. And not just, it's not just history, but it is a blueprint of the kind of life you want each of us to have that follow you. 
You want us to not just read about what, you're, what you've done, but to be doing what you are doing. Not to just gain information, but to receive transformation and acceleration in what you want to do in and through our lives individually and as a church. And God, I thank you for the Holy Spirit that makes all of this possible. Of all the great things that we will read about uh, over the next several months, none of those things could have been done without the person, the power, and the work of the Holy Spirit. That's where it begins and ends. And so I pray that we would learn to experience the Holy Spirit more and more in our own lives. Not just that it's for somebody else or it's for uh, a certain level of Christian or a certain level of intellect. It's not just for Pastor Stephen, but it's for all of us. It's available and ready to accelerate what you want to do in and through our lives. Thank you, God, for calling us who follow you, for choosing us to walk with you on this journey that I think is amazing called the Christian life. Thank you for your body that is called the church that we belong to and find hope in and help to share that love, hope, and life to those that are around us. So God, I pray your blessing and anointing on everyone here today as we leave this place. And I pray that we would walk out in the power of the Holy Spirit, ready to do your work in great and mighty ways. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.